the best product in the market right now, in my opinion, is just easily accessible, open to everyone to buy with no frustrations at all to purchase. It's just knowing what the cool product is to being able to purchase it. But in my opinion, some of the best product out currently in the market today is just on a website with no line. You can put it in your cart and you can purchase it and probably be as happy and confident as you want to be. My name is Jeremy Kirkland and this is Blamo. My guest this week is the real one who links and builds, Reebok Senior Global Product Marketing Manager, Leo Gamboa. If it's on your feet, this guy has helped make the world we all love. Leo talks his early days working retail in New York City, shopping on Jamaica Avenue, and the early skate culture of the city. Ah, don't you miss it? We also talk about our obsession with outerwear, club seas, and old school North Face. And last but not least, we talk what makes a good collab and the art of design. The sneaker is not dead. Lace up, let's go. Did you say you're from New York originally? Yeah, so I was born in Brooklyn, lived in Queens, pretty much my, grew up in Queens. Where in Queens? Um, Forest Hills, Queens. Spider-Man town. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Forest Hills. Uh, love Queens, like, you know, Queens is an amazing place. Uh, grew up there, and then I lived in, um, from Forest Hills, I lived in Astoria for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another place, beautiful food, a lot of, a very, uh, very fun place to live close to the city. And then from Astoria, I moved to Chinatown, where I lived in like the Soho area for probably up to 2017, where I moved into Boston. Damn. And then you said you just moved to like Boston suburbs. Was that a COVID move or was that a family move? That was a COVID move. So we lived in Back Bay, which is like, I don't know if you're super familiar with Boston, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, so I lived like on Common. So I was a block away from like Newberry Street and we kind of... We went over there just to kind of feel like we were still in New York City just because yeah. there's a lot of people and not knowing the neighborhoods really well. So we 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 moved there, but like just the rent was just crazy. Um, and then as the city started just, you know, dying out, everyone hiding, I was just like, hey, it's time to get out of here. We should move because we're just wasting a lot of money on rent here. So, you know, the market is pretty aggressive for people trying to leave the city now. And I think a lot of people, whether it's New York city or Boston or any major city, a lot of people are escaping to the suburbs. Mm -hmm. Um, So the house selection was a little tighter, but we found this not really nice, like spot over here and we ended up buying it. And it's been really nice. I mean, at first I wasn't uh, so like, wasn't sure I can actually make this such a big adjustment. But now that like, you know, one of the most priceless things I could say my years of being alive was like being able to drive to your door and then walk your groceries like a few steps into your kitchen and (laughs) living in New York and and knowing that like knowing how apartments and parking and like even in the bar, all the other boroughs, like sometimes you have to park blocks from your house and, you know, just going to Costco and being able to buy like toilet paper <laughs> bounty and like throwing it in a few feet from your house was priceless. Yeah. There's something about, because that, you know, I only say this because we, we left New York in end of September and moved to the Midwest, moved back to our hometown. And okay. um, it's been, you know, it's been good, but I think going from living in Brooklyn where I'd been for so long 
coming back to the place I vowed to never move back to. Um, but then getting a house, it's weird because it's very like, I'm constantly conflicted because I'm like, yo, it's sweet. I got a house. I got a backyard. I, I can like, you know, I'm not worried about things. Like I bought a, I'm really trying to embrace like suburb life. So I got a deck chair. And I sit nice. in my driveway. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah like, that's the way. I'm meeting my neighbors. It's uh, I got a hawk that lives in my front yard. I mean, it's <laughs> it's bizarre, but there's still. And I'm curious if you feel this too. Where it's like, I watched. I don't know what I watched. Some TV thing the other day, and it was showing a bunch of scenes in New York. And I was like, oh, I was like, damn, I'm not there anymore. Like, I, yeah. you know, I want to, usually I'll see that and I'm like, Psh, I'll go there tomorrow. Or, you know, or it's like, I've, I've been there. And now I'm like, I don't, I, I think I can get a flight sometime. I'll have to check the, the rates. You know, it's yeah, just, yeah. it's, I don't know. It's a weird sort of vibe that I've been like constantly wrestling with. Uh, but also finding a lot of joy in, you know, being real adult. I'm, I'm stage, I think I'm like stage two or three adult now. I was just talking to my friend about it. <laughs> No place like New York. It's the greatest city in the world. So right. whenever you get a chance, go back. I mean, I go, we're close, so I go yeah. back, you know, every so often. It's always nice. You visit your friends. You see the shops that you want to see. You actually tuck some, tuck some product because you, you're like, you know, when you move away, you're like, everything's like online shopping. Right. And you want to just like, you know, tuck something and see how it feels. And, you know, we love it. I always go back and have such a good time and grab dinner and eat all my favorite restaurants and stuff. And then I go back and then I... It's a cycle. I'll wait for my next opportunity or invite to come back. So, yeah, uh, it's always nice to to know that it's still there and you can always go back. Yeah. So let's go further back. So you're a young guy growing up in Forest Hills. You got Spider-Man. You got, I don't know, Paul Simon or whatever is going on around there. <laughs> and and you like when did you start getting into skating? Um, I mean, you know, I was I wasn't like a pro skater or anything like that, but I was just young skating, you know. I grew up with, you know, uh, Tony Hawk, Paul Peralta was like the big thing right then. Matt Hensley was one of my favorite skaters. Um, that was just the culture of where I grew up in Forest Hills. Everyone there was actually a mall called Metro Mall. Mm-hmm. Um and then they, there's a skate shop that opened up there, and that's where everyone went and, and got everything. So I was, like, addicted to uh, – one of my favorite skaters, like, Matt Hensley, Mike Vallelli. Uh I guess from that, just growing up doing that, I mean, obviously that transcends into fashion. And then, you know, it's in, in junior high school, and the big thing when I was growing up was, like, Columbia just arose, and everyone was in the bugaboos, and discus, uh, discus athletic was the thing in junior high school for me. I mean, champion discus, and we all used to go to Jamaica Ave to buy all our clothes, which was probably Gertz Mall, the Coliseum Mall, were probably some of the most, like, I mean, I wish I could take a time machine and go back, because the fashion back then, to me, I think is the most iconic you know, age of fashion, the way people dressed. Um, I actually worked at this uh, iconic Army Navy store on Jamaica Avenue. It was like the the biggest, uh, one of the biggest Army Navy stores in Queens throughout my, I was going to St. John's University at the time. And I got this job opportunity to work in the Army Navy store. And in their basement, they probably had one of the biggest archives of Adi in history. And everyone used to come there to dig and then I would allow them in the basement and we would go through the, you know, NOS product from, you know, past, past years. 
But at that time, I fully didn't understand like how valuable that product was, you know, because I knew it was really good and I knew people were coming, all the break dancers were coming, like the Lost Boys who lived in, you know, they kind of ran Queens in Jamaica at that time. And that was my my high school. They used to always come by and buy all their stuff there. So I kind of like really first saw like the idea of like digging and everything in that Army Navy store. Nas used to come by, like there was a ton of stuff there. It was fun. Um, so that was like my first and I used to go around all of Jamaica Avenue looking for, you know, all the good sneakers then because it was, you know, different age now than when you buy product, you know, then you just go into a store, get lucky, find something, buy it. Or if, you know, if there's a specific shoe you wanted that came out a few weeks later, you'd have to, hey, can I give you 50 on top? Let me buy it now. And that was like the culture of Jamaica. Oh, yeah, nice. yeah, like to get your, you know, back then, whether it's getting a Jordan early or something like that, you would pay the guy a couple bucks and you'd be able to buy it early. Damn. that. I mean, that is pretty intense. I mean, that you're... Like, wait, how old are you at this age? Like, when you're kind of like picking this stuff up? Um, so I was just freshman in college at that time. Okay. I mean, this is like, you know, I was always into the fashion stuff from junior high school into high school. Um, how'd you get into it? Just skating? Uh, no, just I'm used to people I hung around. Obviously, skating is always transcending fashion, they're always ahead of the game and kind of seeing it. But in high school, I wore a ton of polo, um, you know. Tetan Trails was my favorite store. I used to go put North Faces and Vast Boots on Layaway. That was like my thing. That's probably the one of the, the best stores in New York City. Unfortunately, they're not around anymore. But Can you talk a little bit about that store real quick? Because I think I, I'm familiar with the store, but I think a lot of the listeners like don't know the lore. Oh, okay. So Tetan Trails downtown Manhattan was like the, it was like the opposite of Paragon. Like I feel like Paragon was like the more... I'm not saying this in a bad way, but they were like the more niche, like more tight you had to know to know to mm-hmm. go to this store. They had three different floors, you know, janky wood floors, but like you would kind of search and they had all the best brands like, you know, Marmot, North Face, Patagonia, Arcterix, um, a-, a ton of good vintage, all like stuff that you would just kind of find randomly see. So growing up, I think that place did layaway, which at the time was the way, you know, the young kids can buy stuff without having a credit card. So Vast Boots, Dolomite, A Solo, that was like all the rage at that time in high school. I went to high school in Jamaica too. So that's kind of to go backwards. I went to Hillcrest High School and, you know, wearing clothes was the thing, you know, it's just the way yeah. you express yourself it's the way you show your your identity and your taste so growing up when i went to hillcrest i did you know a ton of polo and north face and you know double rl polo country like all that stuff i was just in the mix of that and tent and trails was the gem because you know no one could buy those jackets all in one shot they were so so expensive so to buy the vast boots at that time, you know, you should go down there, put $40 down, and then you kind of knew that your size was on hold and no one else can buy it, which is, right. it's crazy to know, like, that's such a great feeling because, you know, I got that jacket. Like, the original Nupsy, I have photos of me at a very, very young age, and I bought a Nupsy jacket from there, and I had it on layaway for a little while. Hell yeah. And that was, like, the initial <laughs> first Nupsy, so 
that was just it was just a really nice place to to be able to have access to that knowing that you didn't you could get product but plan it out where you were able to afford things which was nice yeah it actually why how come no one does layaway anymore because credit cards are there you know you can just you know the idea of swiping is you know you just people you, you can just deal with it later yeah the thing you know yeah um but different age like i don't know if layaway would do the same effect now just because of the credit card thing but there are people who probably don't have cards and or maybe don't want to do cards and maybe they would like that thing but i think there's other there's other ways of forms of payment now that i just talked about with someone else that are similar to layaway but in in, in different ways yeah i was going to say i think my mom did layaway a bunch for us when we were younger I think, I mean, for herself too, but like, you know, we, we really wanted to, you know, wear whatever clothes we were wearing at the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff would be like, oh, we can get this or I can get this on layaway. Cause it was like, you also, at least, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest. It was all department stores. You know, you'd go to Sears, right? Like, man, I went to Sears so much. All my shit was from Sears all the time. And Sears had good stuff. Sears had like yep. some Levi's and had stuff like that. That was cool. But yeah, that's... It I, I I miss I miss layaway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're you're kind of you're getting some some pretty dope stuff, and then you're working at a shop. You're hanging out with Nas. Uh, <laughs> well, not really. I was like <laughs> I helping him get it, helping him get an M sixty five Jagger, really. But <laughs> yeah, I mean that's cool that though that you got to understand vintage at such. I mean, honestly, like an early age. I feel like a lot of people don't really get vintage until way later because even you know i remember uh i had some friends that would kind of like wear vintage stuff but i was always like those clothes are old like why would you want to wear old clothes like i had no understanding of like the real beauty and quality and history uh of vintage you know like it was just uh it just went way over my head and so that's cool that you were getting like good exposure to that stuff too yeah, I mean, you know, uh, not to say like I'm a, a crazy vintage guy. One of my really good friends actually is an amazing vintage uh, curator, Joshua Matthews. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you know him. Yeah, just shout to him because he's, you know, he's probably one of the best vintage guys in the game. And, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from him. But, you know, just growing up, just surrounded by product and the idea of like foreseeing good product or kind of knowing what's in the going to be good in the future. That was just like something I was always into, like, you know, whenever I saw in high school, or more so in high school, whenever I saw a group of people wearing a specific thing, I would always try to pivot and go my own direction um, to say, Why like, it's the same, you know, I have this like idea and it's the same thing with sneakers too. It's like anytime a, a, a massive group of people want to connect themselves with a certain different, whether it's a brand or a style or, or, or some kind of look. I always choose to go my own direction because it's always like you don't want to look like everyone else in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, you you want to kind of you you want to you definitely understand what they're doing and appreciate it and know it's yeah that's the cool thing right now. It's like everyone wants it. It's, it's sick, but at that point, then it's like all right, now it's time to shift to the next cool thing, and that was just always my perception of fashion that once the, i mean obviously not to say it in a in a bad way but once the masses start to compile into one specific way i would go the other way 
Yeah. Just to always somewhat be different. Like what's and, an example yeah. of that that you did? Um, I mean, you know, not to say I've been wearing Reebok forever. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've been wearing Reebok since high school. Club C was like somewhat my Air Force One. That's the shoe. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so growing up, you know, a lot of people wore Air Force Ones. I mean, I wore Air Force Ones, but then, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with VIM. Mm-hmm. VIM was like the store in Queens on Queens Boulevard next to Queens Center Mall that everyone bought their Reeboks from. And the white green Club C, the white Navy Club C were just like, you know, so good. And not, not everyone was wearing them. So my whole pivot was, I was like, oh, everyone's wearing these specific shoes. Back then we wore the Fila Classics, the, Air, you know, the cream Fila Classics, the Air Force One or the Club C. And I just saw a great opportunity. I was like, I'm just going to wear Club C's. And it, it just happened that organically, I've loved Reebok since early, early days. Like I have all the photos of me in high school wearing club C's like that was just my shoe. And, you know, I took that shoe and I just definitely kind of kept wearing it throughout this time. Um, And even when, you know, Reebok definitely had a lot of Reebok was one of the the number one brand in the world at some point, but you have to be a certain age to to, to have lived it, you know, so I definitely lived a lot of the golden days of Reebok and understand the brand and the heritage and, you know, the history that, that it had. So, um, when, you know, when I kind of went into this idea of working at the brand, I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is like, I pivoted to Reeboks at such an early age, like knowing how cool they were and how different it just made you within that time. Cause everyone was going a specific direction. I was like, Oh, let me separate myself and wear this. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously a lot of people are like that in the same way. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, I've, I've been like that with music, with clothes, with anything yeah. where the second some, and, and I mean, I'll admit like it to a fault, like, I think it border at least for me, I think it borders a bit on elitism in the sense that I'm like, wait, you, like you're all on that? That's just my my thing. And but like I definitely wrestle with that a ton because I still think like there's there's a lot of beauty in going the other way. You know, like I yeah. don't ever want to be number one or be around number one. Like, just let me sit over here because I'm always gonna be here. Number one changes every day. Yeah. Every yeah. day. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's a great point. I think, you know, to, to echo your, your point, I think it's more so all those brands that we, we've, we've loved at some point, they're still great brands, right? It's more so the consumer changing and it's consumer that kind of strays you away from certain product because of the people wearing it. But the brand itself is still top notch and still an amazing product. Um, It's just, you have to wait for the consumer cycle to happen, to Mm -hmm. go back. And that's just the nature of their, our industry. Like, you know, it like something gets too popular, like, oh, I got a break, you know, I got to take a break. And then you take a break. And then you, whether you have iconic pieces of a specific brand that you know are timeless and forever, you just choose to wear it when you feel comfortable and you want to have that moment. But it's the consumer that sways that really adjusts the market. And we, we're different, different types of consumers now. We probably have opinions on how the the world is and people buying products so mm-hmm. you know no one's wrong you know we were all young at some point and we were all like wanted to 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 get something you know like so as you know i wanted to dress an op 
and, and, and when I was growing up, Hell Ocean yeah. Pacific was like my thing, and I used to wanted to wear that. So, you know, it, you know, you don't know when you know. I have two kids, like you know, a fifteen year old and a twenty one year old. When you know they they want to dress a certain way, so you're like, all right, if my daughter wears that, should I wear that? Like, you know, I'm not <laughs> sure, you know. So you have to kind of understand. It's more so the, in my opinion, the consumer sways the market and adjusts whether it's number one, number two, whoever, like, you know, that's all opinionated, but you know, the consumer will sway your, our decisions on what we want to wear. But I feel like um, everyone's got a barometer, right? Like for me, yeah. there were a couple dudes I knew like not very well, but I knew about them. And when they jumped on tips, I was like, see ya. Like, no, nope, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, over. Yeah. Like this, this, this dude's on it. Like, no, no, no. Uh, what, yeah. What's your barometer? I mean, there's, there's crazy iconic moments in fashion history of that barometer, right? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I could call some out here that, you know, there's key moments in the world where specific, whether it's an artist or, you know, uh, a musician or some point, a person with a lot of influence who catches on to some specific thing and it changes, it changes the perception of the whole entire thing and shifts it around. Um, and I've seen it work really well and I've seen it work pretty bad for brands sure um so we yeah we kind of know that like me personally my barometer is that like you know i just kind of i never want to be in a room where i'm nervous that someone else is wearing the same exact outfit or they're like four people wearing the same exact shoe as me and you know that just gives me anxiety you know so like if i'm going to any specific event where the industry is going to be part of it i'll wear something that's like no one even wants to like come close to it that or something so i feel like okay cool i'm in my own identity like you know sears which is funny i used to buy smus from sears sears made a black club c white midsole gum bottom that no one else had that was like their own special makeup that was a sears exclusive and i used to buy them out <laughs> buy them out on discount at sears so that was like one of my favorite Reebok, Reebok at the time. Oh man, it's pretty hilarious. funny. Yeah, yeah. But Sears offers really good SMUs on other brands as well. You just kind of have to dig for them a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I find myself as I get older, more going more and more vintage, and then more and more like bespoke to where like, okay, I'm gonna get a jacket made by this company, and you know what? Like, no one's going to have this jacket. Like, sure, someone may have the fabric. Someone might even get it. But, like, it's this is made for me. And then everything else, I'm like, no, this is vintage. This is from the 50s. This is from the, you know, 70s, whatever. And the funny thing is, like, you think about, like, buying vintage military. They made millions of this stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, it's just, you know, going to be different. But it's tough, too, because I think I have, you know, friends over the years that, you know, have worked for those companies and have been around those companies. And I never, ever, ever, you know, I'm trying to make fun of them or any of the work that they've done. But like, which is why I always kind of fall on my sword. I'm like, no, 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 look, it's just me. Like, I got a weird issue that I always just want to, I want to go left so far that I'll just like drive my car off a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's a good trait to have. I mean, I'm the same way as you. So like, I, you know, when everyone's going to to the left side, I know it's we we like to go right. And yeah, it's just, just like, not, it, it, yeah, it's it's called like, you know someone I, I I've called it in meetings before a confident consumer. 
Mm. You know, the consumer is leading the trend. And, you know, if you have the right person, they're they're confident in the most, you know, it, it's you have like you can have a cashmere hoodie. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is the best thing ever. And then you can have a Gildan hoodie. It's all about like validation and confidence. So, you know, you can have someone in the cashmere hoodie and it's just not the right thing. And you can be the most you can be the sickest dude in the Gildan hoodie. And it, it's just the way you perceive yourself and how you carry yourself and the way you want to, you know, express yourself to everyone. So I think it's 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 all about confidence. And I've been saying that, like I've said it recently, like the the best product in the market right now, in my opinion, is just easily accessible, open to everyone to buy with no frustrations at all to purchase. It's just knowing what the cool product is to being able to purchase it. Um, anything that's hard to buy or, you know, there's some type of line line or anything, that's product that obviously serves a purpose, right? And that, that kind of drives second market value and uh, people want to buy it and it creates hype. But in my opinion, some of the best product out currently in the market today is just on a website with no line. You can put it in your cart and you can purchase it and probably be, you know, as happy and confident as you want to be with that purchase. And it, do- it doesn't even have to be expensive either. So, so I just <laughs> want to repeat this back to you because make sure I'm hearing it right. So you're more or less saying the best product is the one that's available? Well, I'm saying that there, no, I, I don't want to put it in that way because then people are going to be like, oh, this guy makes collaborations, but he's saying the best stuff is like easy available. It's more so that there is a ton of really good product in the market today that's easily accessible with I no frustrations to purchase. You know, but it's there's two different types of product. I mean, there's product built to create hype and then there's product that's just really good product. Right. And I think the hype is overshadowing the really good product. So in my opinion, I mean, hype product is good too, but a, a lot of it is just, you know, is validated by a specific person and people think, that you know oh i gotta have that because that's this Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. but the product might not be that great you know what i'm saying like there's a lot of collaborations out right now Mm -hmm. i mean my my job is collaborations right right? but i liked the idea of creating product that create that has a life cycle that lasts longer than a week so every product that comes out on a weekly basis sometimes consumers can forget about it within a week right? Because they're on to the next one. So the goal, in my eyes of creating product and validating partnerships is that to have this product last the the length, the test of time. So, you know, I can give great examples of product that, I mean, you probably know the same thing is that product that that's lasted its life cycle, and that you can remember it and still always appreciate it and know that even if it's in the back of your closet, you know, at some point you will wear this again Hmm. you know so there's yeah there's definitely a lot of product like that across a ton of different brands but that's like my idea of creating good product and i i wish it was as easy to say like every shoe that we create is going to last you know we're going to talk about it 10 years from now right um you know so some of the some of the past people you've you've interviewed with i've created some product with them right so I'll use Angelo, for example, like the Nepenthes workout that we did, right? That was probably one of the most slept on shoes of that year, in my opinion. Um, but that's a shoe 
that I know I'll, I can bring that back out in 10 years from now and still be super psyched to wear it just because of the kind of style or culture or like stuff that I like. Right. Like, that's a specific product that I think is really well, it was executed super well and it's going to last at the length of time based on the design and how organic it was to Nepenthes and, you know, that whole thing. So I, I don't know if it's coming out right, but I'm just saying like, no, I, I, know, I completely understand what you mean by that. Cause yeah. I think it's, you know, it's interesting too. I mean, and I'm happy to jump to more of the collaboration stuff because I think there is a, that word has become so tainted in a way to where you're like, really, what's your collaboration? You just put your name, that that's not a collaboration. But there have been times in the past that I think someone just putting their name on something, like, for example, you know, Justin Saunders, Jay Jown, um, that is a perfect collaboration because it's also, it follows a design aesthetic of you know, designing with like as little as possible. I mean, it's like a, almost like a Dieter Rams style thing. And I'm not trying to sound all like smart, but like that's something where I'm like, oh, like that makes perfect sense. Probably got to be one of the, the most exhausting and challenging things for someone in your position because you have to measure emotion in design. And, it, and like that is very difficult to quantify yeah no it, for sure i mean the, the justin shoe was obviously you know that was uh, uh an organic home run just based shoe. on the aesthetic of john and, yeah. and reebok's history and heritage i think that was a perfect exact design um there is a definitely a fine line of storytelling in this world and 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 execution on collaboration product um reebok specifically sometimes i would i go with the idea of less is more just of the way our product is kind of mm -hmm. you know the history and heritage of a court shoe itself like you know clean classic lines like sometimes you know there's that fine line of looking at product and going oh i would have bought that if they just didn't put that hang tag on it or if it didn't have that you know that that suede heel tab or something like that like and that's us like we we, ju we judge product right we look at it and we go this was so close to me purchasing it <laughs> but they put this thing on it and now i don't want it anymore and there's tons of product like that in the market because i go to you know when i go shopping or i look at stuff every day i'm just like oh that was really good it's just like one thing could have been less or one thing could have been more um, to make it like perfect for myself, not for everyone, but I would say for myself. So when in working with partners and kind of like seeing designs and kind of understanding, like you kind of have to have an open eye. You can't, you know, one thing you can't just build product for yourself. You know, you can't just look at your own aesthetic and say, I have the best aesthetic in the world. Like no one can make better product that I have the eye of everything. Cause that's not true. You know, we all different stages in our lives. Oh, man. And we all You're right. Think, You're right. <laughs> you know, like, but like, you know, what, what I think that you and I would probably think is super cool. Maybe a 15 year old is like, I don't want that. Like, you know what I mean? So you have to kind of, you know, and I'm getting better at it. It's like building for, a widespread numerous consumers like you have to kind of understand gen z and what they want and you have to understand the guys like us who are like oh i just want a clean classic shoe throw like a vintage sole on there a gum bottom and i'll buy it yeah you know so 
you kind of have to get that good vibe of number one, having an eye for product and knowing the fine line of too much, um, which is very, very important right now. And then the other, uh, the other idea is just, you know, you, you can't just build for yourself. You have to build for, for a specific target consumer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's, trying to get better at that you know so when when things come on the table say hey we have a we have to hit this we have to do that it's specifically targeted for this then you know you have to bring a certain aesthetic to that product yeah so help me understand this and if you can comment i i would love it but like why do so many people obsess over the mars yards the tom sack mars yard shoe which is a shoe to me that First off, I'll be, be be very open and say that like I didn't get one and it bummed me out. But then a buddy might had his and I tried it on and I was like, this sucks. And <laughs> I I don't first off, I think Tom Sachs is a brilliant artist. I think the marketing of it is somewhat genius, but it's a shoe that so many people are like put up there in like the Hall of Fame of like collaborations. And I just stand in that room and stare at it and I'm trying to figure out what I'm missing, you know, like, because mm. trust me, man, I can fuck with Rothko. Like I can get into that vibe. I understand the the journey and the stuff that those guys were going through and like, you know, where their heart was at, you know, like I'm, I get Hopper. I get that stuff. But the Tom Sack shoe, I don't know. So mm. <laughs> if you could, I'm curious what what your thoughts are. Yeah, so I'm actually, I, I was lucky enough to go to the Tom Sachs pop-up. I mean, this was before I worked at Reebok, yeah. but I, I, I got an invite and I went to that whole experience on, on Randall's Island, I think it was. So that was the Mars Yard 2. Yeah, the 2. Okay. I actually went to the museum and had the chance to buy the 1. And I didn't buy it. And I always regretted it to this day because I went in there and, you know, that big exhibit and I was like walking around and I was just like, oh, they have some shoes here. But it was like, I think it was like $400 at the time yeah, or something like that. And, and you know, there was no lines. You could have bought as many as you wanted or maybe you could have bought two or something at, at the minimum. And I didn't buy anything. I went home. I have a few pictures that I put on in- early Instagram back then. Sure. Might be, <laughs> you know, and uh I kind of regretted it. And then when the second one came out, you know, I have some friends at Nike and they sent me the invite and I, I went through that whole course, like climbing the cars and the woods and stuff. And mm-hmm. they gave me this whole outfit and, and, you know, it was a great experience. It was probably one of the nicest pop-ups I've ever, you know, been able to experience. And I did get the product and, you know, I have to somewhat disagree a little bit because because the product was very comfortable. Please, yeah, and I really liked it. You know, and it, I wore I wore it a ton. Um, but yeah, I, I I can I you know I have to agree with the point of I think you know it is very uh, people do love that shoe a lot. It's recognized as one of the best shoes. It's probably I think I've seen them selling for thousands of dollars now, which is which is kind of crazy. But you know. I think it's a good shoe. I can't really say anything bad about it, you know? <laughs> oh, it's okay. I, I, I'm, you know, the yeah. whole vibe of this show is always positive. Like, I'm I'm not trying to hate, but I think there's, when people talk about, like, that being such a good collaboration, I'm constantly trying to analyze it further. And, you know, and I'm like, well, maybe it was the, the journey to get it. Maybe it was the fact that, like, mm-hmm. Tom Sachs doesn't make shoes, you know? Like, I just, it's... 
you know, the whole concept of space, the NASA endorsement. I mean, the stars definitely felt like they aligned, but it's a shoe to this day that I'm still scratching my head at. Yeah, like, yeah. No, they, you know, I, I I like his stuff. I wish I could afford some of those chairs and stuff that he does. I think he does an amazing, amazing job. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's an artist, right? Like, yeah, yeah. artists make art, and art is worth it, especially in an age now where... You know, you got shoe companies making NFTs, you got people making that sort of stuff. Like, I don't know if it's been because of COVID, but there's been a part of me that's like, okay, like I've managed to survive in some way, shape or form. And I have a lot of friends who are artists who have really, really struggled. And I was like, okay, 2021, I'm going to buy some art, like some physical art. I don't know what it's going to be, but I want to, I want to pay for it i want to be a real patron uh you know like uh to an artist like i just i want to find this way to do that and i feel like you know not not like like any artist is gonna be like oh i'm so grateful jeremy emailed me (laughs) (laughs) like thank god that i've been saved but just like something along those lines like i think something is really like ignited in me lately where it's like I need to have real art and not magazine cutouts on my wall. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I need to have some sort of way, some sort of like, you know, strong material relationship. And I don't know. I think some of that stuff has been just like seeing all the NFTs and I'm like, it's cool, but it's still at the same time somewhat worthless. The only thing I'm into is that artists can get royalties off of their art, you know, but yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of really great great up-and-coming artists that you can get something you just gotta you know try to get it early on in the days his it's art is obviously super expensive so you gotta pick and choose depending on what you like yeah do you remember um i think it was called pictures pictures on walls it was banksy's site that was almost like a marketplace and so you could buy invaders you could buy stanley donwood who uh you know, who did a lot of the collaboration stuff with Nigel Godrich and Tom York at Radiohead. You could get um, Banksy's and stuff on there that were just a couple hundred bucks. Now, I mean, look, these were signed prints, but I I think, you know, you could get things really, really cheap. And I I kind of hope or wish there's another thing like that that can pop soon. Because basically with the the hype of Banksy's, you know, and all that other stuff over the years, like the, the site, they just couldn't handle it anymore. And pe- they had fraud, they had all sorts of stuff. But I, I I want there to be some other site like that that's like, hey, here's where you can buy, like, legit art for, you know, uh, something that you can actually afford and these people are going to get paid. I don't know, maybe it's just Etsy. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry for the weird pivot down art. No, and no art worries, criticism. no worries. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so when when did you join Reebok? Uh, late seventeen. And w- what were you doing before then? So before then, I was the brand manager for Packer. Do you know Packer in New Jersey? Mm-mm. There's a there there are a retailer brand um, that I've been friends with the owner since he's opened. He's a great, a great guy, Michael Packer. Um, from there, I worked on all his brand collaborations and activations. Um, so it was great. Uh, a good learning process. I was able to work with, you know, Adi, uh, Asics, Puma, um, 
Diodora, um, just tons of learning experiences through the collaboration process and the activation process. So that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Reebok. And during that time at Packer, I created a great relationship with the Reebok team because we were one of their you know, key accounts and partnerships. So we've done a lot of Reebok collaborations in the past. Um, so I got really cool with them. And there was an opportunity for you know, a new collaborations manager on the team. And they reached out. Um, I spoke to, you know, he's a colleague of mine, Ash Taylor. He's the one that kind of believed in me and gave me the shot. Uh, I'd say like, it's like six months after the interview, uh, you know, I got offered the role and I moved to Boston uh, a few months after. So I've been in Reebok for almost four years now. Mm-hmm. So I, I just kind of work on all their global fashion partnerships and collaborations. So what, what was your first, the first collab you did? Uh, the first collab I did was bronze. So Pete from bronze is a friend of mine. And it was funny because I just saw so much potential in Reebok. I mean, early on, I mentioned it before how great the brand is and all the history that we've had in the past. So even when I was interviewing, and I had a, an idea that I was might get this role, I created a, a list, the collaboration list, per se. And I, you know, I was like, these are all the partners I'm going to get. And, you know, very confident. I mean, you know, have a lot of friends in the industry. So a lot of it was just like, hey, I'm here now. Let's do this. Let's do that. Like, let's go for it. You know, so um, I created this wish list, which is around 20 brands, I think, mm-hmm. um, at the time. And this was 2017-ish. Yeah, like mid-17. Um, and yeah, I just went at it. And Bronze was one of the, you know, big skate brands from from Brooklyn, New York. And a uh, great, great bunch of guys. And they were my first actual physical handoff, um, which is, you know, super special to me because that was actually my first, you know, product that I actually got to go to market. Um, and we did a really cool advert in, in Thrasher. Um, so they did a little spread in there, which was nice. So that, yeah, that was like my first, first official shoe. Nice. Yeah. I mean, cause like, I think, you know, as we were talking earlier about like just the process of collaborations, that they it's such a fine line to walk like how how do you kind of approach those well i feel like you know i'm not sure you know i I always like to educate the consumer that it takes a year for product to actually come to life and go to market from like the first conversation so i'm not you know sometimes people just think oh they just did that last week because they saw something on tv and they Mm. did it you know but like reality like even before a year it takes some time to negotiate the deal to even come together to an agreement. So the timeline of collaboration is usually like a bit more than a year. And, you know, it is a process just of like identifying brands that are organic to, to obviously Reebok. Um, so it just looks real and authentic. Cause I was like, you know, to our point earlier, there is a lot of collaborations in the market right now. I mean, we're all over collaborated every day. You know, you scroll down your, your thumb, you, you see 10, 10 collaborations within a few minutes. So yeah. You know, we got to just ensure that everything we do is a brand we can kind of control and then as best as we can make sure that, you know, it looks authentic um, when we go to market. So it's, you know, with that list that I created, it was just like knowing, oh, these guys actually authentically connect. Let's reach out. And some, if they don't, you try to figure out a connection if there could be one. Um, but that's really like uh, the most important thing in my eyes is just identifying an organic connection and then figuring out the story. Sometimes stories are easier than others, but, 
you guys just figure out something that's really impactful and it can be meaningful. Yeah. Did you help set up the story collab? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're amazing. You know, uh, a friend of mine, Dan, he connected me to Saeed and Katie and, you know, that was probably another one of the best projects of the year that, you know, super underrated, like not underrated, but like slept on as story being, you know, up and coming brand. Um, that took more than a year just because basically of what 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 we wanted to do with the product and you know from a material standpoint i mean you know say katie were very specific with the materials that they chose i mean obviously they they, they did a wonderful job um and even from the marketing side um the video and everything that they created to kind of like highlight the product i mean i can't say uh they just top-notch work from everyone on their team mm. it's probably one of the funnest projects we worked on um last year so so how how did that get set up because i mean you said it took over a year and that and i think it's it's also good that you're kind of explaining that like these things don't happen you know through you know overnight like so because yeah the, the what they did with their with the the story mfg collab was not like oh we're gonna just use this colorway on this shoe i mean it was i don't know it wasn't anything i'd seen before yeah so they're they're um you know this kid dan i don't know if you've seen him before he's uh he's a close friend with them he works with them now he's a close friend of mine he he kind of reached out and said hey there's you know my friends have this brand you should check it out so um I took a peek and I was just like, you know, say love at first sight type of moment. And I was like, oh, these guys are amazing. Can you connect? And then we did a connection. We met in Paris and kind of had our first meeting like during market week and kind of like went through the product and stuff. But, you know, just being there so specific with materials and execution that we had to figure out how to kind of make them, you know, something we can't do is source materials from other factories and kind of bring it our way. So we have to kind of like look to see what they're looking to execute and then kind of go that route. So the material selection was probably the most important part, you know, to make sure that the execution is right on their side as well as ours. So that took a lot of time. And then obviously with every material execution you have, you have testing and you have to go through like the development process. So that's just another uh, hurdle that we had to go over based on the materials that were selected. so yeah, th- that one, I don't know the, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to be able to remember the exact like email introduction date, <laughs> Yeah. but um, yeah, like the, that, that project, you know, it is it, just, it was just super fun, you know, and, and they did just a really good job. The, the Beatnik is probably, I worked on the Beatnik last year. It was probably like had huge moment, like a resurgence in the marketplace just based on kind of bringing it back the right way. And I, you know, story, Stories Beatnik was probably one of the most well-received ones out of all the ones we've done because just it was just you know the execution they had like quilted pat, you know uh, padded quilted linen it was just really nice yeah it was it was like bizarre it was incredible it it reminded me actually a lot of and I say this in the most loving complimentary way of uh, I had these really cool like corduroy shoes from Royal Elastics. Um, I don't know if you remember that brand, but like, it was like a cool sort of Velcro shoe with like a vulcanized sole. I mean, it was, it was very, very cool, but like the, the material was kind of like this soft, rigidy, um, I don't, I, I, 
embarrassing myself. I don't know what it was. It was like a <laughs> cotton maybe, but it was really cool. And like, I, I, I think I, you know, I, I come from the fact that I wear, I either wear club C's or, um, you know, like vans or like Sperry's or something like that. You know, like most of my stuff, I try to be as basic as possible. You know, like mm-hmm. I remember at one point I got really into like a Via. Do you remember them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know, trying to do that, but like it's just like the profile of like more of those classic shoes. So like I tend to stay, you know, in in my words, like pretty boring in like all of my in all of my style like shoe stuff. And I end up wearing insoles because my feet are fucked. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I wouldn't consider boring. It's just you know, I, I'm not the tallest guy, so I always used to have an issue of wearing high tops, like big high tops, because I always felt like especially with shorts, I would never wear big high tops with shorts. I always felt weirdly insecure about how it looked. But low tops obviously was always my favorite. So and it's just, you know, you can't go wrong with a low top court shoe. It's just, it's just a, a specific look. And it depends on, I just wrote this thing about how important it is that the way your pants fit, like sit on top of your shoe. I think I don't think people realize that that is probably the most important part of the look of the way you wear your shoes, the way the pant actually like whether it's a sweat pant, uh, a pair of Dickies or a pair of Levi's or something like that or a technical pant like that is the most important part of the whole entire fit, in my opinion, when it comes to shoes. And I was laughing because I was just like, I don't think kids really know that, like, if your pant doesn't like fit right on top of the shoe, it just the, the whole thing is over. Yeah. Like it doesn't look good and it's done. So like I, I, I just want to express that like <laughs> people need to know that that is probably the most important part of it. Like so I was just, you know, I was ranting about it the other day. I was like, yo, you gotta make sure that your pants sits right on top of that shoe. No, or I, else it's not gonna look good. I agree. <laughs> like I the amount of agony I would spend you know, just going back and forth with my, my tailor on hemming my pants. And like, I'm mm-hmm. not, I feel so bad because, so I have a, I'm going to sound all stupid. I have like a higher right hip. So technically like my pants, uh, uh, you know, are not, you know, like correct. If, if you just, if you just hem, if you just hem things straight across on the, on the bottom, like you actually got to hem one a teeny bit higher than the other. Oh, okay. I see. And I learned about this more when I got really into all the Italian tailoring stuff I have because the trouser makers I would work with would also would do that, but they would also hem um hem your pants at an angle. So like mm-hmm. so it would be just a teeny bit longer in the back. I mean like very, very subtle. And it would just like mm-hmm. gently kiss the top of like your your loafer or whatever. Yeah, it was like it was so fucking perfect. I mean it's it's like yeah, yeah. like good like a good fit, like the geometry of that is it's yeah. gotta be one of the best things ever. But like I, I go to my tailor and I'm like, no, no, I was like, can we just move it like like this much? She's like, that is She's like, that that's millimeters. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but just like, she's like, look. And then she just would like try to pull my pants a bit. She's like, now it's fixed. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Do you, do you remember? I think, I don't know how long ago it was, but where everyone was just cutting their pants a little too high. Yeah. I think there was like a whole thing about it. Like, I think I've heard Mordecai talk about it a bunch of times too, where it's just like some people just cut it too high. And then all those good pants that we've had that we've like ruined with some kind of bad tailoring. I wish I could just go back and just leave them. Like, just leave them. Like, I wish I could go back and hit you because I save all those, like, whether it's a good pair of Levi's or something like that. Like, I don't know. There was just high water phase where everyone was just cutting their pants too high. 
Yeah, I I think it was it was probably based off of like I don't know something like Ryan Gosling or some other you know dude <laughs> did that was basically you know more or less orchestrated by a wardrobe or or costume designer that made that fit and it looked good because yeah. he was also like super fit. I mean, yeah, that's that's been the that that seeing how that like ricochets across. And next thing you know, you got dudes trying to look like they're coming out of a. Yeah, it's like a storm. Yeah, yeah, like it just like there's there's a flood. Everyone got their pants up. But yeah, that 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 was a that was a crazy time. I definitely threw a couple of dickies out or some kind of pan out in the past. <laughs> Dude, I, I have a stack, a stack of eleven pairs of Levi's that are just. Just a little off, just just a hair off. Because <laughs> now, like recently, I was like, "No, man!" I was like, "I got some new jeans. I got some new stuff." I was like, "The these are my jeans. I don't want fourteen pairs of jeans. I want like two or three. And I'm just yeah, gonna yeah. I'm gonna ride or die on these jeans. And all the other ones that didn't make the cut, I'm just you know I'm gonna recycle them. Or I'm gonna you know give them away. You know do something like that. But yeah, can't can't hold on to that. No, yeah, I went through a. A gnarly jean phase where it's like you know the whole apc thing when you had like you know all those standard ones you wanted to wear them out till like you had the lines and crazy apc like phase and then i went through a, a gnarly double rl jean phase where i just wanted like you know it had to be perfect chain stitch i needed it like 30 inch i used to go there they said i was just obsessed with like the details of everything so like you know when you get those selfie jeans you can't just cut it i always felt you can't just go to a regular or uh tailor because then they're not going to keep the original hem and yeah it, you, you you know want that, that, that whole stitch. thing is a nightmare yeah so like going to the double rl store i was like oh i need to you know if you bought it from there they gave you the free tailoring and you got the chain stick so it was just like okay cool but you had to pay the double rl price which was like you know, three hundred dollars for a pair of jeans, but that was like the best jean at that time. Like everyone had double RL jeans on to, to see the back pocket with the RR. Like yeah, yeah I was like, okay, cool. Like you're good, you know. So I don't know. It's just funny, funny, funny clothes stories. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that I finally after you know fifteen plus years retired my like my old Dior jeans, which like to me that was like this is my 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 New York fit, man. It was my Dior jeans and they were yeah. like super, super stacked and I thought I was so fucking cool. And you know, I thought the jeans were the cool part about Dior jeans is the like the button at the very front, you know, so like you'd have like a button fly or whatever like that. It was a, a like a folding clasp. So you would kind of like, you know, like like a trouser. You know what I mean? So like you'd mm-hmm. have a little class yeah. that would lock into that. And so you had this really clean line right there. And um, I mean, they were like amazing jeans, but I think, you know, they're like four, four to 600 bucks. It's like Rogan yeah, and yeah. Diesel era stuff, man. That's just trash. Yeah. 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 The D- the Rogan stuff was, I don't know, jeans, jeans are always going to be expensive. Like, you know, I, I want a pair of Orslo jeans, but they're like $500 or something like that. So I just haven't, I haven't gotten one yet, but in, in Boston, I've got, you know, we have Bobby's here. So yeah. I've, uh, tons of vintage Levi's that I get and, you know, I'll, I'll spend like $35, $40. I actually bought a really nice one the other day. Cause it had like, you know, a little bit of distress and they, he charged me like, I think $55. So I was like, Hey, can't beat this. It's 55 bucks for, we used to spend like 300 on a jean and not blink, but now, 
spend 55 you're like oh is that too much and you're like no it's not this is like just get it you know right yeah do you find yourself <laughs> yeah. like double taking with like prices of certain things that used to not anymore yeah yeah like you you know when i was growing up i would buy a gucci bucket hat you know when i was like for 350 dollars without blinking an eye or a prada american cup for 400 dollars and not blinking an eye but now i'm going into like a store and i'm like oh this t-shirt's what like Twenty six ninety nine. Like, I'm not sure I want to buy that, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I think we all go through that, like price justification or something like that, or even like purchase justification. Cause you know, now it's like, you know, we, we consume all this product that we're like, we live in product. Right. So I went through this stage where, you know, I can only wear one brand now. Like, you know, imagine, imagine being able to wear all this beautiful product that the world offers. And then you kind of, then you, put yourself in a situation where you're like, yo, I can only wear this specific brand. Cause you know, to be, to be honest, like I came to Adi Reebok and I haven't worn another brand since like in a competitor style, not, you know, for purpose I've hiked in different types of shoes before, but you know, I haven't put on a competitor since. And, you know, some of that shifts your energy into like, you know, I'm a jacket maniac. And I think you've mentioned that too before, but I am like, extremely addicted to jackets and outerwear that love it all that energy translated (laughs) into like jackets and it's a problem because like instead of buying like a sneaker i'll just buy jackets all day and then you know like nothing like you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like you know you just want a nice jacket so i've I've, you know it's been pretty it's been pretty jackets and hats I, i i wear a hat probably you know every day of the year so i've accumulated like you know i used to make hats too some of my old you know my old job so i've accumulated hundreds and hundreds of hats and you just keep them in these weird bins and you don't know like what they are and then you know you'd have to just dig them out when you can but hats and jackets are my like passion oh same i mean and and i still last night like so I have a, a thing on my iPhone, you know, it's like the screen time thing, but it's only mm. for eBay after like mm. 11 o'clock at night because, <laughs> yep. yo, I get gnarly on there. And last night I was like, you know what? Fuck it. And I just like entered my password and I was on eBay till like one thirty in the morning looking at all of like old Asics jackets. Um, mm-hmm. I have some old like Asics jackets that were my mom's. They were like running jackets and they're like, you know, mm-hmm. very oversized, but also really, really short. And then I'm, next thing you know, I'm looking at starter jackets and I'm like, yo, I'm, yeah, I'm like yeah. back in St. Louis. Hole. You know, I was like, maybe I got to get a little Cardinals gear. You know, I was like, maybe I get, you know. And so next thing you know, because like now that eBay has carts and stuff, I look at my cart and I was like, okay, you know, none of these things are over 10 bucks. And I was like, I don't need 10 more jackets. I have yeah, I'm yeah. in my office, there's a closet. It's filled with other jackets, many that I still haven't worn. I like, it's a horrible addiction. I'm, this, I'm glad I'm, I never got into cocaine. Like, I just, I can't <laughs> stop. Yeah, you got to do, I mean, I'm the same. eBay is the biggest, like, deep hole that you kind of do. So I do, I mean, I'm, I think we're very similar. But like, one trick of the trade that I've been doing is that I mean, we all have our specific searches, right? Our key searches. What's your that safe we always search? Go to. Hit me, hit me with the safe search, right? Now. 
I mean, re- you know, I my my favorite one recently is like NOS Sports Cap or NOS Beanie or oh. NOS Ski Beanie. Like I, just to, to find some like, you know, really good gem for $12 that like you can never find. Right? So, yeah, I've I done this thing now where I do – I think that the, the, the normal working person would probably list on a Sunday evening, right? Because mm-hmm. like their yeah. work week – Saturday relax. Sunday they go. I'm going to eBay on Sunday. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I do eBaying on Sunday evening, new listings on my ten favorite searches, and then that's how you get all the new ones within that time frame. So you sure that's you want me to leave this in the pod? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> do as you please. I feel like that that is the probably a secret gem. Like, cause people, you know, you, Tuesday night, you're on there like searching hours on hours, scrolling down, like anything that was good was already purchased on Monday, right? right? By the, by the, by the, the diggers. So mm-hmm. you have to do, I've got really lucky on certain occasions that I do newly listed Sunday, eight ish, nine ish. And then even like when everyone falls asleep, you can do it from 10 to you know midnight if you want and you're gonna get all the listings what what you know in the u.s north america um and then see it at that time so that's where i think the best gems come up because you know i mean there's tons of product that'll sit there and rotate and never be bought but the ones that are new and fresh that you're trying to catch Mm. sunday evening is probably the best bet oh that's genius yeah, try it. That's my. Uh, I've I've mentioned that to a few people, and they've gone lucky. I, I I've been on some like vintage Patagonia recently too. I mean, I have tons of Patagonia, one of my favorites. Um, but I've wanted to get a few new ones, and you know, the vintage Patagonia thing is kind of, you know, the whole Arcteryx thing is, is is it's crazy right now. It's 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 huge. So, you know, I just keep searching my, you know, the the North Face, the Patagonia, the Arcteryx kind of thing. You can see what comes up, but you know, there's some there's some good ones coming out now. Oh, there there for are all for three sure. Euros. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It's funny because like I love Arcteryx, and I you know I've had a handful of stuff over the years. But because it's on like Blackbird's biplane and all these other places, I mean, and this is my thing. This jumps back to our earlier conversation. A part of me is like, nah, man, I'm done with that. Nah, I don't want any of that because, and so I was like, I'm getting back, I'm getting back into Western mountaineering. I'm getting into, I'm getting into cloud veil, man. Like I'm getting into canceled outdoor brands that were all about Wyoming. (laughs) Like. And yeah. it's funny because, like, if you're looking for a really good Gore-Tex shell, especially when you, if you want the, like, the XCR, which was, like, the three-layer stuff that they did from, like, late 90s, early aughts, you can get those for 40 bucks, you know? I mean, yeah. you just got to find brands that, like, I think, at least me, I thought were whack when I was younger, you know, that are, like, mm-hmm. well, dude, uh, the Monkey Man... Uh, mountain hardware jacket and any mountain hardware wind stopper they made a ton that were made in the u.s for a long time 25 bucks all day all day oh nice yeah nice yeah the, i mean you know i actually went to outdoor retailer a few years ago and i pitched collaborations to those type of brands it was funny and then you know i was at the patagonia booth and I mean, they don't want to collaborate in this space. Like they have no interest yeah. whatsoever. And then I'm like, 
it was such a funny situation because I had I had the Arteryx Bird sticker on my laptop, right? So I probably looked like I worked for Arteryx, and I was hanging out at the Patagonia booth right. for a really long time, um, which was pretty funny. And you know, I was telling the guys like, you should bring back the rhythm, like, and this is. 2018 maybe a year after yeah i was like you should bring back the rhythm people want the rhythm they don't need the same colors of the retro x that you bring back like black navy like you should bring back the rhythm and and do something else and i showed it to one of the guys and he was just like oh this is cool but we're not going to bring it back so i remember and i was just like why wouldn't they bring it back and i like i met with uh, marmot i met with patagonia you know, just like I wanted to meet them because I'm super interested in that industry and, mm-hmm. and outerwear is such a passion of mine. And I was just really just networking and, and seeing, gauging interest, right? But it was funny that, you know, they just don't have any clue a lot of the times of the space. And, you know, Arteryx, specifically Arteryx and, and Cooper, who's their creative director, is a friend of mine. And he's been doing a lot of great things and the visibility and everything that they're doing is it's 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 really you know grabbing new consumers here and there and i mean obviously we know that you know people are wearing the jackets and it's doing its thing right now so you know our still to this day probably makes the best gore-tex shell top of the line gore-tex shell you're going to buy in the world but you just gotta you know just have your shells and just if you don't feel like wearing it now you just wait it out and that that alpha sv or whatever that's 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 going to last you for the rest of your life like a retro x I did this survey the other day. I was like, okay, 10 things you need in this world, right? We we all consume too much, right? It's, it's obvious. Yes. But like if you were to keep 10 things in your closet, right? And you could do this with sneakers. You could just whatever. So like 10 jackets, like you say, you got, you got a barber, you got Alpha SV, you got a Patagonia down sweater, you got a Patagonia Retro X. Uh, you know, you can go down the list of the icons of icons that every – let's say purist or, or, or consumer wants it should have. And I've, and I've came up with this list, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like set. I have this list, like, you know, and then it's like adding in the pieces. Like, Oh, you need a pair of Dickies. You need a pair of like a gray hoodie, a Navy hoodie, a black hoodie, or a, 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 a knit sweater, a cashmere Ralph Lauren sweater, like, and then, you know, a, a blue button down. Mm-hmm. Right. So like you have this whole thing and I, I always bring it up. I, tell my girlfriend so i'm like i've created this like list that this is all i need in the world of like clothes and consumption of product and i need to abide by this list at some point but like i keep looking at it and i'm like all right i should print this out somewhere and show people what i think is what the needs of like the staple closet but to to jump back to what you were talking about and where like you have this list of the best stuff I think for me, and maybe for many others, the problem is not like limiting. The problem is the constant pursuit of the best of what is on that list. Like for me, I'm like, you know what? You're right. I only need like one killer blue Oxford. But like, what is that? Is it vintage Brooks? And if so, like, okay, if it's vintage Brooks, like, you know, what era is it? If it's this, Mm -hmm. you know, and so like, next thing you know, I got... 10 or 15 vintage Brooks shirts when the point was for me to only get one, but like all of them are just, it's, it was just like with me and Levi's 501s, like all of them were just a hair off, you know, like that's just a little bit, it's just not right. 
And so now I bought, you know, 10 plus things to get the one, because I feel like, yeah, you need a hoodie, you need like a camber or a real McCoys or some sort of like, you know, something mm-hmm. that's that's made by a legit Japanese company where the, you know, the just details are the best. But then I'm like, well, maybe, maybe that one's a little off. May, you know what? I want a raglan. I want a raglan sleeve. Okay. So now, next thing you know, <laughs> it's coming in the mail. Me, me and the yeah. UPS guy, we're bros. We are bros. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's it's tough, man. They, you know, I, 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 like this room I have here, I have a, it's like a t-shirt closet. I have like probably 200 black t-shirts and they're all kind of like somewhat different. But um, and hoodies are obviously my favorite. So you, I think each one serves a purpose, right? Mm. Like they're all different fits and feels. So like camber, obviously, it's a lot more heavy duty and rugged, and very boxy. Um, you know, then there's like a soft feel hoodie. Like you know, you can buy. I just got this Vism hoodie recently, and super soft, and it it, it lays totally different. So you know, there's it, the fit is really the issue when it comes to having 10 gray hoodies because they all probably fit you differently yeah. and have a different look. So, I mean, I've tried them all, man. Camber champion <laughs> Rupa. Rupa is one of my favorites too. Like Rupa is really good. Rupa. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You just have like, but they all kind of sit different, like state. Like, I've tried like so many different hoodies and you just got one hoodie. That's like, you know, this one serves this purpose because it fits me this way. You'll buy a large jacket because you want to wear a t-shirt under it. You buy an extra large because you want to wear a hoodie under it. Yep. Like that's that whole thing of like too much consumption. We got to, I think it's hard to just be like, and that's not going to just happen because one of my friends said this word to me. He's like, you know, you can, you all our childhood friends are people who kind of don't live in this little bubble that we, 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 we consume ourselves in. Mm-hmm. It's like when you go to their house, they'll have like, you know, two jackets and two shoes. And you're like, oh, uh, oh yeah, that's my shoe that I've had for five years and I, they wear it every day. And then you're in your head, you're like, oh my God, wait, that's the only shoe you have in the whole <laughs> entire closet. Like you're kind of like, oh my God, this is crazy. You're like, and then they're like, oh yeah, that's my jacket. They'll have like two jackets there for everything. Yep. And then I try to put myself in that shoe like, oh, can I do that? And I'm like, maybe I can, maybe I can't, you know, but like, that's, that's just whole thing. People are so different sometimes. So I'm sure you have friends like that. Like I have tons of friends oh, yeah. that are like, yeah, like why the hell do you have, why do you have, why do you have 10 shoes like in front of your house? Like, do you just need one? Like, why do you need 10 by the door or something like that? He's like, Oh, I don't know. I just got lazy and they just left them all there or something like that. Dude, you know, that's, that's the vibe. And like, it's funny because, you know, and I wonder if some of this has to do with, there's gotta be some connection to our, overexposure and constant exposure to like media and the sense that you know how many photos of Steve McQueen and all these things are you going to throw at me to tell me that I need to look like this or have this vibe like I mean I so I finished this book there's been a bunch of Cary Grant books over the years and like Cary Grant you know the actor was a guy who was he was definitely a stickler for his clothes but he wasn't the way that people who want to look like him care about their clothes, right? Into which it's like, no, it has to be exactly like this. It has, there's so much stuff that like Cary Brandt, excuse me, Cary Grant just bought, like, you know, walk into Brooks Brothers and would buy a shirt and walk out. 
He wasn't like, oh, it had to fit like this and it had to fit like this. You know, Steve McQueen wearing a yellow sweatshirt. He wasn't like, I need a yellow sweatshirt and I'm going to cut off the sleeves at this perfect exact. That was a fucking wardrobe costume designer, right? Like, that's who, who made that pick. But for some reason, because of how all of us, like Tumblr and all these other things were like, I got to look like that, I got to look like that. We obsess over those things trying to be someone that we're not. And that person that we're trying to be never even cared about that. You know, like Cary Grant just wanted suits that had extended shoulders because he had a big head. He wasn't like, I need this exact Prince of Wales of this exact weight that's going to fit like this. Like, and that's the Mm -hmm. thing where like, I got really convicted, especially over quarantine where I was like, oh man, like none of the people that I want to like look like in my head cared as much about what they look like as I do. I was like, mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you yeah, know, I get it. Then I then I bought another hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. But I mean, you know, you you go through it. You find that one that you know. I found out like my one of my favorite hoodies is just a champion blank, and it's not even a vintage one. It's like one of the ones that just came out. Like I just bought it for thirty bucks, but it just fits me. It's about like fit, I guess, you know? Yeah, fit. It, the fit fit me really good, yeah. But you should see uh, Pa makes like top-notch hoodies. They're probably one of my favorites as well. My little brother is really into Pa. And yeah. I mean, that I, I checked out the brand. The brand seems pretty dope. But I have I keep, I've just, I got to find some way to, to uh, curb my new, my new brand budget. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, there's yeah. still tons Not of crazy. amazing new brands out there, and I I don't want to be yeah. some snob that just doesn't buy them because he's, you know, I don't know. But yeah, there's everything I see of their stuff is really good. Um, yeah, some one of my friends brought that up. I don't have. He said we have like this group chat, and he's like, I don't have the room for a new brand. <laughs> he said it, and I said, fair enough. Like I get it. Like we all have our specific brands that we like or enjoy, and sometimes you know it's hard to just take on a new brand. You don't want to just buy one thing. You'd have to buy a few things to feel like a real authentic follower of the brand. So you buy a couple things and then you find yourself like, you know, Oh my God, you just bought like 10 things. To yeah. <laughs> this new brand I spent a ton of money. So he, he said it really well. He's like, I don't have time for, I appreciate the stuff. I just don't have time for a new one. And that, I mean, that's the thing too, because at least for me, any brand that I buy, I, I pride myself on knowing a ton about that brand. I know about yeah. who made it. I know where it was made. I know um, the designers. In some cases, I like know them personally. And so I have like such a deep, deep connection to that brand that if a new brand comes up, I'm like, oh man, the amount of work I need to do to understand that brand. Like I don't even feel like I'm qualified to just buy something from them. Because I'm like, well, I don't, I don't yeah. know the creative director or who's the main person who makes Pa, so maybe, oh, I don't know. I guess I can't get it. You know, where I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I don't even feel like qualified to purchase from some of those things because I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm so like encyclopedic and in how I want to know about brands and yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I mean, you're, you know, educated consumer. It's, it's awful. <laughs> It's uh <laughs> educated consumer. You like to know the history. That's great. I mean, it's very respectable. Yeah, well, you can say that to the pile <laughs> of shoes in the corner that I have that I'm just like, maybe one more. 
Let's do one more. <laughs> anyway, thank you so, so much for chatting. This, this was a lot of fun. We'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Blamo. Our show is produced by Blamo Media, and our associate producer is Jason Schwimmer. Maddie Franklin runs our socials, and Brendan Finn edits the show. Theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find us on Instagram, at Blamo Podcast, and if you can't stop and need all the hot content, join us on Patreon for tons of exclusive episodes, our private Slack group, merch hookups, and all the fun in the whole wide world. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. I'll see you next week.